sweet. Thank you. It's so good to, um, yeah, just to be up here and to really share God's word with our church, with you guys. And so, um, yeah, let's jump right in. But before we pray, let's, I want you guys to open up your scriptures to 1 Samuel. We're going to look at the Old Testament today. And you can actually leave a pen or a finger there because we might just keep, you know, going back and forth. First Daniel chapter 15. And we are actually going to read the whole chapter, so let's let's go. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, it's a long chapter. But hey guys, when we read this, I really want you guys to put on your like movie uh, lens on because this is quite dramatic and you got to see it. You can't just read it. You got to see it. So I'll be a good, I'll try to be a good narrator. Here we go. And Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in telling 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as shore, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop! I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have, br I have brought Agag the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, 
please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also, the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul bowed before the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, As your sword has made woman childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. This is the word of God. Man, it's so good, right? I'll give, I'll give you a moment to just let that sink in, because it's like, man, my knees are like getting jittery because it's so like vivid. Let's pray. Father, um, we thank you, God your word today. God, I pray that you would speak to us. You would speak to every single one of um, every single person who's here today. Father, I pray that you would open their eyes so that they could see you, to see more of you. Lord, open their ears so that they could hear what you are speaking to them. And open their hearts, God, so that your truths will take deep root, Father. I pray that you will use me today to declare your truth in the power and the authority of your word. And I pray, God, that the Holy Spirit would convict each heart today. Would you draw us closer to you through this word? Thank you, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. That was quite a long chapter, right? And I know I think probably the most popular verses in this chapter that we've, we're all probably familiar with, or most of us, is, you know, um, isn't obedience better than sacrifice? And we remember that all the time when we quote it and we use it. And we don't really, when, we, when it comes to this chapter, we don't really look and understand what's going on. The thing that, we, that catches our attention the most is, oh, man, I guess Saul didn't really obey God. And, you know, Samuel's just telling him, hey, like, sacrifice is nothing. You just needed to obey. It's obey, obey, obey. You know, that's kind of what we see. And while that is somewhat true, you know, I was so struck reading this chapter because as I was reading one of the ways to really read 1 Samuel is characterization. You really have to start focusing on the character of the, the figure that's mainly highlighted. And here in this chapter, you see two main characters, right, Samuel and Saul. And as you look at Saul, I, I don't know if some of you guys were following with the reading, but as you're looking at Saul, you're starting to think, man, what kind of man is this? What's going on? Who... You know, and, and I think we all have our own versions of how we would read his words, and I didn't want to, to influence too greatly your own interpretation of how he might say things. But, you know, in my mind, Saul, to me, is just like this poor coward, you know? And there is just a lot in here, and I want us to really get at the, looking at what we can learn today by looking at this encounter between Saul and Samuel. And of course, we have other characters in the background, the, the Malachites and the army of Israel, right? The army of men that fight with Saul. But today, one of the things that I want to talk about through this passage, and you're probably not expecting it, I want to talk about self-deception. And I want to define self-deception this way. We are all, we can be deceived in many ways, right? I can deceive you by lying to you, and so you're deceived. But I want to talk about self-deception, meaning how we deceive ourselves into believing what's not true. How we deceive ourselves, how we lie. We have access to the truth, but 
we choose, we willingly choose to believe what's not true. Okay? And you might think, well, why is that an important topic? Yeah, self-deception. Okay, so what? We lie and, you know, we shade truths here and there. Why is that important? Well, because we read it, what, see, the thing is, self-deception leads to a great fall. What we're seeing here in this passage in chapter 15 is that with Saul, we're going to look at how Saul was self-deceived. But because he was in self-deception, self-deception leads to an eventual fall. I like what Lillian shared in her testimony. I think she said, she quoted Proverbs 16. It kind of like spoke to me right there. I was like, ooh, that's good, right? And it says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. That's like self-deception, see? There's, in our eyes, when we're self-deceived, when we make ourselves believe in something that's not true, we somehow, we're, we're really brilliant. We have this way with our minds. We come out up with a way to make ourselves believe in something that's not true somehow. We do that all the time in some ways. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, destruction comes. In the end, it leads to death. In the end, there's fall. And so I want to look at how that happens. So we're going to look at four things today in talking about this. First thing we're going to look at is what is self-deception? Second thing we're going to look at is why do we do it? Why do you and I deceive ourselves? Third thing I want to look at is what does it do? Okay. And the fourth, what do we do about it? Okay. So let's start with what is self-deception? Self-deception is not seeing reality the way God sees it. Self-deception is us seeing, interpreting reality the way we want to see it, but it's different from how God sees reality. Okay, that's what self-deception is. See, in this, how do we see this from this text? What's going on here is this. There's two paradigms. There's, a, there's two things going on. There's two realities. There's a reality of Saul, and then there's a reality of God, okay? There are two things going on. The first is this, is that Saul, his, in his mind, because he has deceived himself he's t- in his delusional mind, he thinks he has obeyed the voice of the Lord. He thinks he, he's, he obeyed. He's like, I did it. You know, we're going to, right? He thinks that he, d- he, he's great. He went out and killed and destroyed the Amalekites, and he thinks he's great. But the other reality is God thinks he's disobeyed. God thinks he's actually awful. See, the way that Saul is seeing himself is different from God's reality, right? But you see, in order to understand why this commandment is so important, you have to first understand a little bit of the background of what's going on, okay? And you have to pay attention to the subtle details of this passage that tell you that, that Saul is actually deceiving himself, okay? First is this. In, you know, back in Exodus when uh, the Israelites are crossing through uh, the wilderness and they're trying to get to the promised land, there's actually a history that Israel has with Amalek, with the Amalekites. Okay, the history is, is that when they were trying to cross to get to the promised land, like God had promised his people Israel, Amalekites went after them. Okay, in Deuteronomy 25, you see that God declares a judgment over Amalek and tells Israel, I promise, uh, it is my command that I am going to destroy Amalek from the face of the earth, you know, from generation to generation. But why does God do that? It's because Amalekites were people, really sinful people who actually went after Israel during the time that they were supposed to cross the promised land, and, and they started killing the latter half of Israel. They were killing off Israelites, and they were going against what God had promised Israel to do. And you see, Amalekite then is not really, yeah, they are the enemy of Israel, but God is saying, I have a promise for my people Israel to get to the promised land. But because Amalekites are going after them, killing them, killing them while they're wearied and tired, that's what it says in scripture, right? I promise to destroy Amalek. And when you see them, when you see them, you shall do this too. That is a history of what's going on. And so 
God is telling Samuel to go tell Saul, hey, Saul was a guy that I I set over king, I set as king over Israel. Go tell Saul my command, right? And the command isn't, you know, just kill the king or do this and that. It's very clear. Look with me in the text. What does Samuel tell Saul? Right? He says, verse 2, this is God speaking, right, to Samuel, and Samuel's just repeating it to Saul. God says, I have noted, that means I remember what Amalek did to Israel, opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. So God says, right, now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Devote to destruction, he's saying, right, God is saying, he wants Saul to utterly destroy everything, right? Not just a few things, not just half of their things, not just, you know, a percentage, but God is saying utterly destroy everything so that there's not one thing remaining. What is the purpose behind that? You might be thinking, that's kind of harsh. What kind of a loving God would want to wipe out an entire people? You know, some of you guys might be thinking that. But you see, you have to remember that this act that God is doing, the purpose is God is God doesn't want any possibility of the spread of any abominable practices of paganism spreading to his people Israel. Okay, first thing is that Amalek was the Lord's enemy. Why? Because they what they were trying to uh, thwart God's plan for Israel to enter into the Promised Land. And so this is an act of justice that God's doing. It's not in our human perspective. It's like, oh, man, God's kind of, God's harsh. But, see, God is, God is saying, I have a promise that I have made with my covenant people, Israel. And the law that, the promise that God has given them, right, is that they are to follow God, love God, obey them, all the commandments that God has given them. And so God's enemy like Amalek, foreign these foreign neighbors who are trying to invade and trying to spread their evil practices of paganism and uh, idolatry, God's saying, get rid of it all because I have made a promise for my people. Right? This, is a, this is a little background for why God tells Saul to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites. So the command is pretty clear. The command is destroy everything. Okay? And we're talking about the realities, right? For Saul, he thinks he utterly destroyed. He thinks he obeyed God's commands. But what do we know that Saul actually did? Did he actually do that? Did he actually do that? See, in verses, you know, later down the road, uh, in verses 9, in verse 9, right there, it says, but Saul and the people spared Agag. Da 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 da. And then it says, and they and all that was good, they would not utterly destroy. You have to imagine that there were two hundred ten thousand men. Saul and his army, they're huge. You know where it says from Havila to Shore? That's actually in today's geography. These men cover the geography from all the way from Arabia to Egypt, basically. It's 210,000 men who are carrying out this word, this command, right? And they're supposed to get rid of everything. But in the midst of killing and destroying, they saw the good things. And they decide, hey, we're going to spare Agag the king because he's the king. And they decide to capture him, bring him alive, and they kept all the good things. In God's eyes, Saul disobeyed. In Saul's eyes, he obeyed. He's like, oh, well, I sort of, yeah, I, I did it. I destroyed. You know, I just captured Agag, but I, you know, it, he's convinced himself that he has obeyed. You see, this is crazy. How often do we do that with ourselves? How often do we convince ourselves into thinking, well, you know, it's like we play with our thoughts. Like, oh, well, you know, yeah, God told me to do this. Well, but I did. Uh, you, you know, you guys know what I'm saying? 
un this in self-deception, there are always two realities, yours and God's. And how you see things is never the way God sees it. So I want you guys to think about that. Maybe there are some of you today, right now, maybe you're living in self-deception. Somehow maybe you've, you've convinced yourself of some lies and somehow it's become true for you. But maybe, maybe it's possible that God's reality is different and God's asking you, to examine and say, hey, are you seeing what I'm seeing? So that's the first thing, wh what I want to say is, in self-deception, our reality is not God's. We can't see the way God sees. But here's what's interesting. Why then do we do it? Why do we go through the trouble of deceiving ourselves and and making up, you know, I don't know, stories or something. Why do we do this with our own minds? And why do we do this with our own lives? Why do you deceive yourself and convince of yourself of what's not true? In this text, there are many reasons. But today in chapter 15, what we read, there are two things I want to highlight. First is this. It's because you and I, we fear man. We fear what people think. We care so much about what people think so much that we can't help but try to come up with a way to continue. Okay. Uh, in verse, I want to, let's go to verse. I want you guys to and then eventually Saul says to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed. I, I sinned. I transgressed the commandment that God has given me and I sinned against what you think. So I ended up listening to their voice. So, you know, when he's in the army, um, he's in the battlefield, he's in the battlefield, and he's killing all probably Amalekites, and all this is going on. You have to ask yourself, what made Saul? Because Saul probably went into this field thinking, all right, I'm going to do this thing that God told me to do. I'm going to go and kill Amalekites with his 210,000 men. He's in that state, right? But isn't it a curious thing? One day Saul suddenly in that scene stop and think, oh, wait, actually, when he saw Agag, the king of the Amalekites, why didn't he just strike him dead? What made him just capture him alive and bring him? Right? That's the first question that I, I ask. Then another thing is, when he saw all the good things, the, you know, the fattened calves and ox and sheep and whatever, why didn't he just listen to God and just destroy everything? But, you know, in the text it says, but all the good things they brought and they kept, but all the worthless things they they destroyed. Why? There is no explicit reason in the text that shows us why. But, you know, some of the commentaries, um, some of the scholars say this. It was perhaps, perhaps it's, you it's need, we need to consider that in the midst of his fighting and destroying everything, maybe the men of his army tempted him to say, hey, these are like good things. How can we get rid of them? Hey, imagine what we can do with this. And by the way, back in the days when you're burning up sacrifices as burnt offerings to the Lord, afterwards, you know, the person who, the people, they eat it. They eat it afterwards, right? They're probably thinking, oh, that's going to be good bacon, <laughs> right? That's going to be some good chicken. Or, or not, it's good. It doesn't say chicken, good beef or good steak. Right? Or good, like, lamb. Ooh, you know, we can, you, you know what I'm saying? Doesn't that go in our minds when we, you know, it's kind of like spring cleaning. You know, sometimes there are times when I go through my closet and I'm like, all right, I'm determined to get rid of things. I'm going to donate to Salvation Army. I'm determined to go and do spring cleaning. But then it's like all of a sudden I see everything. Like, oh, but this is so good. It's, oh, no, no, I, that's, that goes in the box of keeping. You know, I actually had to do this when we were in, uh, you know, in, in the States, and we had to separate boxes, donation, boxes to keep, and boxes to give away to family, right? And every single thing we were organizing through the house, I was like, oh, no, this is, this is going to go to Australia. Oh, this is, oh, no, I got to take that. And it started building, and I was like, oh, man, like, no, Jamie, you've got to make decisions. 
because in the end, we're going to end up paying for shipping costs. That's just, it's not worth it, you know? But we all have that in us where sometimes we're determined to do things, but it's like we start to question when we see good things. And it's tempting. And so for, for, for what's going on with Saul is, yeah, it's possible that the, the men, his army, were tempting him to, hey, 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 these are good things. Let's just sacrifice it to the Lord. But in the mind, it's like, and then we'll have steak afterwards. You know? You know what I'm saying? And, and Saul, this guy, he's a man we know by chapter 15. If you read through 1 through 15, there are already hints telling you that Saul is a man who actually cares a lot about what people think. How do we know this? Because back in chapter 13, when God gives him a command through Samuel and says, hey, the Philistines are about to fight against you, and there's going to be war and all these things, right? Samuel tells Saul instructions given to him straight by the Lord. And he says to him, you're supposed to wait seven days until I arrive where you are. Then you will burn up the offerings. Okay? Saul's like, all right. So he goes, and he's waiting in Gilgal, right, waiting for Samuel to show up. But what's going on is his army, they're hearing they're hearing that Philistines and all the enemies are, like, gathering up. And the people under his leadership, they're starting to get scared. And they start to scatter. And, Sam, and Saul, as a leader, he starts to feel like, oh, man, what kind of a leader am I? You know, he's probably feeling like he's going to do something, right? So he waits seven days, the appointed time, and Samuel doesn't show up. So what does Saul do? He goes ahead and violates the instructions that were given to him. And then Samuel shows up, and he's like, hey, what happened, Saul? I told you to wait. And what's Saul's response? Oh, but the people were starting to scatter and blah, 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 blah. You see, Saul is a guy who cares a lot about what people think. And so even here, isn't it just possible that if his men were tempting him, for him, he wants the approval of his guys. You know? Imagine, like, I don't know, some, like, men's club. Like, uh, you know, in back in, like, in the States, we have these fraternities, and I don't know what the equivalent is here, but b- they're basically, like, like you know, like, raw men, kind of, like, a lot of, hor- you know, like, hormones, and, like, it's, like, guys thing, and it's, like, can you imagine if you're, like, a leader of some, like, manly organization like that, and all the guys are, yeah, yeah, come on, do it, do it, do it, and the, the leader is, like, you know, like, nah, he doesn't want to be a party pooper, right? He's going to be, like, yeah, I want I want my men to like and men do stupid things because <laughs> that's why I think they do stupid things, I think. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like, come on, drink. You know, I had I grew up in a youth group with a lot of brothers and you know, like they're all guys and they would like, you know, spur them on and say, Come on, drink the hot sauce. And it's like, why would you do that? But all the guys are like, Yeah, do it. And the guy's like, all right, I'll do it. And then everyone's cheering, yeah, you know? It's like, oh, my gosh. But, you know, I think this is a kind of favor. He, it's important, right, for Saul as a leader of the army to gain that favor from his men. So not only does he want some gain, maybe. Maybe he wants profitable gain, too. I don't know. Right? Some of the commentaries say that. Maybe there was profitable uh, economic gain to, to have from such awesome best of the best of sheep everything but it's also possible that he was tempted by the fear of men he cared more what people thought than remembering the voice of the lord and you know when i was reading this at first i was like man saw you're such a coward but i just thought i was so convicted i was like you do that too you know we do that all the time. We would rather appease and please our friends, our parents, people around you. Because why? They're immediate. They're right in front of us. And so we deceive ourselves into thinking that pleasing them is more important than pleasing what you know is true. The command that has been given to us, we ignore. Okay? So that's the first thing we see is Fear of man, fear of people that drives you to disobey. Then here's another reason why he deceives himself into believing this lie. Okay? What we see in this text, I love this part. Saul loved himself. (laughs) He 
really loves himself. You guys know that? He wants the glory, and he wants the honor. You guys know how we see that? It's so funny. Like, in the text, you know, it's like, oh, yay. Okay, so he defeats the Amalekites, and it's over. And overnight, Samuel received a word from the Lord that, you know, actually Saul disobeyed him, and he's just crying out all night. And as soon as it's morning, Samuel goes out to confront Saul probably, right? And what we see in text is, it's like, imagine, Samuel's going up to see Saul, and Saul's like, he, Samuel heard already what Saul has done. What, what has Saul done? Okay, It says that Saul has built a monument for himself to commemorate for this victory that he had. It's like, how much more big-headed can you get? You know, it's like Saul is so self-deceived. He thinks that he's like, his reality right now, okay, is I'm great, I'm awesome, I just destroy these people, I'm obeying God, and now I am great. I have this, you know, monument. That is really self-deception. Samuel comes to him, and it's like Saul is so excited. Oh, blessed are you, Samuel. That's what he says. Blessed are you. I have obeyed. And Samuel's thinking, no, you didn't. Samuel knows. But Saul, in his delusional mind, in his own self-deception, he's like, I have obeyed, and he's excited. He loves himself. Saul wants the glory. And, you know, maybe he didn't kill Agag just yet. Because it's like, what? If he has Agag, the king, imprisoned, it's like, oh, everyone is like, oh, you got the king. You know? You know, maybe. But Saul just wants that glory. You know how else we know he loves himself and he wants the honor? Towards the end of this chapter, when there is this conversation going back and forth between Saul and Samuel, and, you know, Samuel keeps trying to confront him, get him to confess, and Saul's like, no, but, you know, he's like, he's not with it. And then finally, he admits, like, okay, fine, I have sinned, right? And, Saul's about, and Samuel's about to go back. Saul says to him, oh, but please, you know, here, let's read it together. I want to read it in his words. Verse 30, Saul says this. I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel. It's like, you know, for me in my voice, you know what I think of myself saying? It's like, oh, please, please. It's like, it's so desperate. It's like, okay, okay, I get what you're saying, but please, before you go, just do this one thing. Honor me before the elders of Israel and the, uh, before my people. Why does he want to be honored before the elders of Israel? You know why? Because the significance of the elders is that they have spiritual, some, they have recognitions. The elders, uh, they symbolize authority and power. He doesn't really care what a little person, you know, I don't know, like what baby or what child might say, but he's going to care what the elders are going to say. See, you guys, you guys are not going to care in the same way. We don't really care about People who don't care about what they're going to say. Who cares if your five-year-old cousin says you suck at, you know, I don't know, singing, like, you know, or that you're good at singing. You want the praise and the approval of the person that matters. Is it not true? You know? And so Saul here, he understands the authority and the weight that the elders of Israel have. And he's saying to, he's saying to Samuel, Okay, fine, I, 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 I get it, I did wrong, but just honor me. I got to save my face. Oh, I can't, it's too shameful. I can't let them know that this happened. I got to maintain this reputation I have. I got to lie. I got to, I mean, he's not saying I got to lie, but he's saying I got to somehow make things look okay. He loves himself too much. He wants honor. You know? You and I do that too. Don't we? <laughs> Maybe in different ways, in different degrees. But we care so much. It's, it's like 
I think like in um, somebody said it, it was uh, in Korean. Somebody said it in Korean, like in my youth group, and uh, when I was doing youth group, and it's really funny. The actual translation from Korean to English, it, it's it's image maintenance. <laughs> it's I mean I guess it I guess in Korean it sounds funny, but it's like you gotta maintain your self image all the time, you know. And that's what we do, no matter what happens. You know, when we love our reputation so much, you don't want anything to threaten that. You don't want your name to be threatened. You don't want your reputation to be threatened. And you'd be willing, you'd be willing to lie, to deceive other people to do it. This is the irony about self-deception, you guys. Is that you see right now what's going on is Saul has deceived himself to believe this lie, right? But what's going on relationally? What starts to happen once you deceive yourself into believing a lie that's not true? You not only deceive yourself and God, you start deceiving people around you. This is what he's doing. He's now deceiving the entire Israel. He's now deceiving them into, into believing his reality. That's not true. And he did this all because... He just loves himself too much. Okay, we looked at, okay, so far we looked at what is self-deception. We looked at why do we do it. But I want to look at this. What does self-deception actually do? And this is the part that I really, really want to um, focus on, like, deeply on, okay? Self-deception, man, this is, this is really, like, this, uh, this should speak to you. Self-deception keeps you from true repentance. You can't repent if you have deceived yourself. Why? Because in your mind, you're thinking, there's nothing wrong with me. I didn't do anything. I didn't disobey. So there's nothing to repent of. That is the tragedy. You know, the way that we see this in chapter 15 is Saul doesn't get it. He doesn't understand. Even after he's admitted that he has, he has transgressed God's law and he has sinned, you know what breaks my heart after reading this chapter? Nowhere near, okay, nowhere in this passage does Saul say, I have sinned against my God. And I am broken because of that. You just say, you just see him saying to Samuel, I, okay, I, I didn't do what, I didn't uh, command the voice of your God. And at the end of this passage, you know, when they split ways and Samuel goes his way and Saul goes his way, the last verse, you know, it says this, that Samuel and Saul didn't meet each other again until he died. And it says this, that Samuel grieved over Saul and the Lord regretted that he made Saul king over Israel. In my mind, I was thinking, how come the person who sinned against God, we don't know anything about what his heart was like after the fact. All we see is that Samuel was the one that was grieved and Lord was grieved. But Saul, still, he's not grieving over his sin. Why? He's so self-deceived, it's impossible for him to repent with sincere faith. He doesn't see it. Okay? Let me highlight what happens when you are, when we, why, uh, what self-deception does to us, okay? What self-deception does, it, it blinds you from seeing reality, okay? Here's what happens with Saul. Saul, first of all, he was blind from really seeing who he was. How, does he, how do we see this? There are actual evidences all around. There's an evidence around Saul that shows okay, that he's blind. Because when Samuel comes to confront Saul, right, and Saul's like, oh, I obeyed God and all that stuff, he says that. What does Samuel say? Samuel say. What is this bleeding of sheep I hear and the lowing of oxen I hear? Basically, okay, in today's contemporary language, that makes sense. It basically means, what is this mm, I hear and what is this bad I hear? Okay, what is this noise? There is this noise I hear. It's clear evidence. 
There's evidence all around him, and yet Saul is still self-deceived. You and I, there's evidence, traces of evidence all around us that sometimes we have broken God's law, that we are against his ways, we're living in sin, and yet we continue to lie and deceive other people. There are evidences, but that's how foolish we become. That's how blind we become. You know, when we are in love, we're blind. We don't see clearly. Right? It's like, oh, why do you love him so much? Like, he's not even good looking. Or I'm not saying that I was, I, anyone ever said that to me. But, <laughs> but, I, I, <laughs> but I'm just saying, right? I'm just saying, like, oh, why do you love him or her? Okay, I'll switch it to her. Why do you love her so much? She's not even that beautiful. Or, you know, she's not even nice. Like, but then, you know, the person's like, oh, what do you mean? She's just so perfect. You know? Like, love has a way of blinding us from reality. And just like that, self-deception has a way of making us not see what's actually there. Okay? Um, let me go on to the second thing that happens when we're self-deceived. So it blinds us, but here's what, what happens when we are self-deceived, is that because we cannot acknowledge, okay, what's going on, okay, we continue to live in foolishness. How do we do that? We justify ourselves. Because that's what Saul did, okay? Hey, look with me, okay, in verse, where is it? Let's look at verse... in this passage, okay? Saul is constantly saying, oh, but the people did it. But the people, the people as mine. He uses the pronoun, okay? But when he's like, oh, but the people did it, but clearly the text says the, it, it was Saul and the people who spared Agatha. Excuses. Oh, but, you know, I did do it. I did this and I did that. But, you know, let me explain myself, <laughs> you know? Well, let me tell you, always blame shift other people. Why are you so sad to control, to not get upset, to not get sad, to not get angry, but we always blame the situation. You know that? We use religious excuses to justify what we do. You know how self- we make religious excuses to cover up our selfish motives. You can't change. It keeps you from changing God wants. Okay, here's how things change in this situation. Saul in front of the elders of the people, uh, the elders of Israel. But it's impossible because you don't believe there is a need to change. Look, the scary part is not even that you can't repent. You know what? The, the, the more tra- continually living in a place where you are separated from God. And that's the tragedy. What did it and commanded him to do? But Saul doesn't come to God still severed. And that's, that's the tragedy of, uh, of our lives. When it's what's going on? We can't come near to God. There's nothing to ask for. There's nothing to repent of. There's not, we're not saying, God, I need you. I need to be changed. So what do we do about it? What do we do, uh, do about the fact that we sometimes, like Saul, when we are living in self-deception, what do we do? Here's, here's what we can take from this passage. When Samuel goes to confront Saul, a lot of us are thinking, uh-oh, Saul's in trouble. Right? If a pastor goes to you, you're thinking, oh, man, why is, why is Pastor Paul coming up to him? I gotta, I just got to go see. Your first instinct is, you know, you get a phone call. Oh, Pastor Paul's calling me. Uh, what, what did I do? Did I do something? Did, did somebody say something about me? Right? It's never, oh, Pastor Paul's calling to greet me with some nice words. No. But our instinct is self-defense. Like, oh, the guard goes up. What, what happened? Right? And when Samuel confronts Saul, we don't see it. Our natural instinct isn't to see it as, oh, yes. 
yay, Samuel's going to go to Saul and tell him what he's doing wrong so he can repent and go be close to God. That's not how we read it. When we see our brothers and sisters next to us and we think, oh, yay, they're going through, they're going to have a talk now with their CG leader because we've been going through a lot. Our heart's not, you know, we're not thinking like, yay, now there's hope for repentance and they're going to change. We don't think that. We think, oh, no, like, am I in trouble? Why is this person saying this? We don't know how to listen when people in our lives come to us to confront us with the truth. Just like Saul didn't know how to listen, Saul didn't cup his ears when Samuel come it, went up to him and said, hey, actually Samuel didn't even start talking because remember Saul was so excited to tell him that he obeyed. <laughs> but, e- but, you know, either way, Samuel, when he was trying to start to confront him, Saul was continually justifying himself. So here's how we start to get out of self-deception. When listen to the people in your life, sometimes it's your parents, sometimes it's a friend, sometimes it's it's your CG leader, your community group leader, or your pastor. Sometimes it's that wise person into your life. They may not always say it in the most loving way, and that's, that's not nice, right? <laughs> but listen, maybe there's truth that you need to take and examine and consider. And when somebody goes to you and confronts you, that's God's grace. It was God's grace that Samuel even went to Saul to confront him with the truth. You got to listen. Proverbs 13, 13.1, it says this, A wise son hears his father's instructions, but a scoffer, he does not listen to rebuke. You know sometimes how I discern how I speak truth to people? I discern whether they're going to be a person who's going to love me because I give them wisdom or they're going to be a scoffer who hates me for what I do. You know, and I love it when I'm meeting with friends and people and they're just eating up the things that I have to share. If I'm saying it lovingly, and that is good. Do you believe that when, peop- when God sends people, wise people in your way to confront you with the truth, do you take it like it's good stuff? Trusting that that's God's grace in your life to bring you back to him and to repentance. So that's the first thing. Listen to wise people. Second, let's not self-justify over and over. Stop making up excuses. Anytime you use the word I when you're being confronted, check yourself. <laughs> because when you're constantly, I, well, I, I, it's pro- you're probably leading to I, well, it's because I did this, well, you know. There's always an explanation going on. Just stop. Just stop. And lastly, don't insist on your own way. Just like Saul did, he kept insisting that he, he was seeing the reality. He kept trying to insist and persuade Samuel, but Samuel knew. Right? <laughs> Listen. Self-deception, it's basically this. Self-deception is when we think we're really better than we actually are. You think you're better than you actually are. That's self-deception. But you know what the hope is in this message? It's not so we're like, oh, okay, just behavioral fixes. Okay, just let me look at if I'm really self-deception. No, listen. There's nothing to fear when somebody goes to you and tries to confront you and tells you, you don't have to worry. You don't have to have the fear of man driving you to worry. Why? Because if you really believe that Jesus loves you and in him, you're fully secure. So there's nothing to fear. If you know that, you won't self-justify. You won't make up excuses. Because Jesus already knows. And he loves you. And what Jesus is asking is, come to me. I've died for you. Don't stay apart from me. Come to me. See reality through my eyes. My desire for us is to grow in this area of not thinking that we're actually better than we really are not thinking that we're holier than we really are, not thinking that we've got it all together, 
I want us to become people who say, Lord, I want to see things from your eyes. Let's pray. Father, um, Lord, just thank you, God, for your word. You know, showing us, God, just the the danger, the tragedy, God, of um, just self-deception, God. When we really take matters into our own hands and we seek to interpret everything around us by our own wisdom and we neglect your ways. Lord, it's so tragic, God, that we remain in the place of rebellion against you and stubbornness. Lord, we want to be a people, not like Saul, who eventually falls. Lord, we don't want our self-deception to lead us into a place of a great fall. But Father, we want you to search our hearts. Lord, we want to be humbled, God. Lord, we want to acknowledge the specific areas in our life today, Lord, where you're calling us back to a place of repentance. Father, we ask, God, that you would convict each and every single person right now, Lord. I pray that you would speak to them clearly. We no longer want to be separated from you, God. And God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, God, that you invite us to the throne of grace, to the throne of God where we can just lay our sins naked before you, trusting, God, that in you we already have received forgiveness of our sins. Lord, we pray that you would cast off deception and lies from us. Help us, Lord. Give us confidence in you, Lord, to see ourselves and our realities in your, in your ways and through your eyes so that we might be able to come to a place of true repentance. We thank you, God, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all rise.